Today is Wednesday. It is uh, 9-23-2020, and we're ready to begin our worship service. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time we have together. We thank you for life, health, and strength, and we're here. And we, we, we're also here grieving as well. We pray for um, especially the Sneed family, Dave and his daughters, uh, who uh, lost their mother. We are asking for comfort for, for them. We pray that they will be upheld by the Word of God and the Holy Spirit will give them peace and comfort through this difficult time. Also for, the, for Gordon and, and for Tim, for Tim especially as he is surviving and uh, that we're looking forward to um, continuing uh, and hopefully fellowship with him in, at some time in the future. So we pray that we will have wisdom as we approach your scripture tonight. Uh, give us uh, the wisdom that we need from the mind of Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. All right, so as you know, Romans 8 is our study. We got some information there later. We'll, we'll get to it. Although we have a couple questions on the table, so we'll, we'll pause for that. And uh, the floor is open. Uh, yeah, I wanted to mention that uh, somebody had responded to a comment I left on a video, somebody else's video, and the video addressed the subject of what is called lordship salvation, um, meaning that two things are required for, for your salvation, not only that you believe, but that you make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, so that everything you do is in line with, um, with obedience, mm -hmm. with, with his teaching. Yes. And the it's not clear, um, you know, it's what what seems to be implied is that the obedience, the command, the lordship that you give to Christ is required for your salvation. So it seems like salvation is constantly in the balance. Right. And during that video, um, the speaker talked about what is termed easy believism. Um, or what we would call on, on, in our discussions, what we often refer to as the simple gospel, um, the gospel which is salvation by grace. Mm -hmm. And there are, there are some misunderstandings about what easy believism is as well. Some people just get angry hearing about that because they think that, no, nothing is going, nothing is going to be easy when it comes to God. You know, you've got to pick up your cross daily, and you've got to, it, it's a hard life, <laughs> you know, to to be a Christian. You're, you're going to have persecution in the world and all that stuff. Um, but it, it goes beyond what, what um, you know, salvation by grace is all about. So I, I commented to that video and, and basically said there were three areas of easy believism. One is biblical, and that is where, you know, the, the Bible talks about the simple gospel, the um, salvation by grace. 
and the other two were false teaching. One was that works were required. It wasn't just believing, but you also had to do something. Um, like James talks about, faith plus works is, um, you know, faith without works is dead. Mm-hmm. So in order for your salvation to be real and alive, it, it requires faith plus, plus works. Although we know by study of that scripture and the other scriptures in regard to salvation, he's talking to believers about the effectiveness of your faith, not um, not whether or not you're saved. Right. And then the other way that people look at it is that um, it's easy believism, but it requires a little fine-tuning. You have, you have to have something extra in there, such as baptism or saying the sin of repeating the sinner's prayer or um, you know, coming up to the altar and, and letting the elders put hands on you and pray over you, as, as if those things will complete the act of, of salvation or something. Mm-hmm. And we know that that's not necessarily true either. I mean, God sees our hearts in, in the instant that we believe in Christ and put our trust in Him. In that moment, we are saved. And it's not based on anything we've done externally, lest we have something to boast about. So I was delighted that I got a response to that post that I put in there that, that um, there was a person who thanked me for the teaching and was asking for more. So I guess a couple questions come out of that is one, you know, I'm, I think we covered a lot of material in regard to easy believism, even though we refer to it as simple gospel more often, um, which is salvation by grace. Um, but at the same time, what, what you had mentioned also is that sometimes we're so prepared to fight and defend faith that we're like, we have to restart when somebody says, oh, that sounds great, Let me, I want to hear more. <laughs> right. So, yeah. yeah. So, what are your comments about that? Well, I definitely want to open for everyone else, but I, def- I will certainly give mine. Um, you know, when you're talking about easy believism and lordship salvation and uh, Lordship salvation is easy to talk about because um, their stance is obviously that you have to produce works befitting of Christ, you know, Him being Lord. You have to be obedient. So it's not just faith in Christ, but it is you also have to be obedient to Christ. If you're, he's <laughs> their famous phrase: "If He's not Lord of all, He's not Lord at all." <laughs> they come up with these cute phrases that are supposed to mean something, but uh, ultimately they they boil up to uh, salvation by works. So the uh, easy believism is also uh, salvation by works. It is mocking the Christian way. I mean, not the Christian way. It is mocking salvation by grace. That's what it, it's intended to do. So people are supposed to say, oh, so believing is not that easy. you got to have works. You need to have something. Hence, Lordship Salvation. It is used by people who uh, believe in Lordship Salvation and uh, to mock people who just believe in faith alone and Christ alone. So, you know, my first thought is easy believism. I wonder what kind of believism do they have? Hard believism? tough believism like what's the uh, the opposite of that like what are we supposed to take from they hate what is easy believism so what you want hard believism i don't know 
So <laughs> I don't. Well, I, 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 yeah, I did have a um, a, report, a pastor of Reformed theology um, answer me on that regard. I asked him to clarify, what do you mean if, if you don't agree with easy believism? And he said, he basically said that easy believism was just too easy. Yeah. Not that he called what, what he said was hard, but he said, you know, he was trying to make the point that, well, anybody could go around and say they believe and, you know, and that's all you need to be saved. Yeah, whosoever. <laughs> whosoever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right. Anybody. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think and for so the most he, part. Go ahead. I mean, because, because for him, he didn't know, I, I guess he didn't know what were the implications to his job. Like, if he's thinking, he's thinking he's got to teach everybody about salvation, and man, it's, it's going to be complicated. There's soteriology, there's eschatology, you got to know all these things in order to appreciate salvation. Mm. Well, maybe to... You've got to be really, really, really humble. Well, there's a lot to learn about salvation. It, yes, there is, but, but when it comes right down to saving people, there's just the gospel. It, and the gospel includes the bad news and the good news. It's so if we say what is the gospel, we got to talk about the bad news, and then we got to talk about what God has done. What what works have God has God wrought in order to make uh, salvation available to every person that would ever be born in Adam's fallen race. So I I look at it like this, I'd say um, the problem behind all of this is that they don't understand the nature of salvation. So because they don't understand the nature of salvation, they are coming up with solutions that satisfy their legalism or self-righteousness uh, in the same way the Jews did, try to require the Gentiles to be circumcised and keep the Mosaic law. This is the same type of thing. So in some milder form, of course, oh yeah, well, you could be a Christian. However, don't think you can just say you believe and that's it. You know, there's more to it. You got to bring works with, along with that belief. And uh, so unfortunately, they try and try and try to destroy the nature, the integrity of the nature of the salvation that we see in Scripture. And how come, how do we receive something that is not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, uh, not by works done in righteousness? How do we receive a salvation that's like that? Um, so I was thinking of that when you were talking, and I came to this thought in uh, John chapter 1 and verse 12 and 13. So it's, it says, uh, well, we can read 11. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So this is Jesus. He came to the Jews, presented himself as their Messiah. They rejected him. <laughs> they rejected him. Verse 12, yet to all who did receive him, uh, though, and so how do you receive them, right? Some did receive them. This is the point we were just saying. How do you receive a salvation that is grace? How do you do it? And here it is in the next phrase. 
to those who believed in his name. Notice it didn't say nothing about uh, those who show forth works, those who uh, are obedient to, to Christ, uh, those who are good, moral, upright, those who stop doing all the, the terrible sins that we don't like. Uh, no, it's just simply those who believed in his name. So what happens after that? He gave them the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent or of human decision or of a husband's will, but born of God. So, so guess what? God has accepted that person, but the church has not. So isn't that the same thing we saw in Israel and in the early church, let's just say, where people were like, yeah, we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. However, the way of life has to be merged with your acceptance of him. So they mix the Christian way of life and they mix uh, salvation by grace. And the two can't mix. It's like oil and water. Because one says, not of works, not of yourselves, get to God, not of all that. And the other one, the Christian way of life, requires works. In fact, God has expectations of fruit bearing. Right? He talks about every good work. He says we were created in Christ Jesus uh, to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. So here you have two uh, clear lines of understanding when it comes to salvation on the one hand and the Christian way of life on the other. They are mutually exclusive. You cannot put them together or you destroy both of them. So we have to emphasize that those two things are separate. We are saved first and foremost. <laughs> you, can't, you, you have to be born, as Shakespeare said, to be or not to be. That is a question. And if you have not believed in Christ, then you have not begun in the Christian way of life. You, you can't even execute. You, there's nothing you can do for God. Remember, we need the scriptures that apply to you. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who do good. There is none who seek after God. All have turned away. Those are the scriptures that apply to you. Unless you have received him. What does that mean? To believe in his name. To put your trust in the, uh, for, for your soul's salvation on the shoulders of Christ. So, I think, I think easy believism should, and when we're talking about salvation, it should be easy. Uh, that's When you think about it, it's a gift, it's free, doesn't cost us anything. What, what, are, we, what are you telling us we need to pay? Like, where, where are you getting this from? When God has said it's free. So those are things um, you may want to consider, and I'll, I'll open the floor for comments as well. And you said so many things. So many things. Oh. And um, yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a lot to that because there's, there's a tremendous amount of um, misinformation um, out there about you know anything but salvation by grace. 
Yeah. Yeah. But I think one thing to note is that when you see someone who has salvation and the Christian way of life merged, you have to call them out on that. So, if because that is the, the only way to really approach it. Because if you don't, then you go on talking about grace, and they're going to go on talking about the Christian way of life. Every scripture you give for grace, they're going to try to counter it with, wait a minute, you got to have works. So, so what you got to do is separate the two and help them understand that we're talking about two different things here. That's why, on the one hand, God can say, it's by grace, it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, and all that. On the other hand, He's expecting that you do good works. He is that doesn't mean we have to do good works. It just means that God expects us. He wants us to do good works. He's encouraging us to do good works. So that is not for salvation. And we know, everybody here knows that God will reward everyone for whatever work he has done, whether he's slave or free. God will reward you. That's what you're going to get for works. You're not going to get salvation. So, hopefully, those are the things I would say to emphasize. And I've gone around and around with people on this one issue without uh, helping them understand, you know, or, or just stopping them and say, wait a minute. Do you know that salvation and the Christian way of life is two different things in Scripture? Each has its own endpoint. What's going to happen if you believe in Christ? You're going to receive the gift of salvation. What's going to happen if you uh, you you have works that are befitting for God that He has encouraged you to do through the Holy Spirit? You're going to be rewarded. So, you know, it's not. Uh, difficult for us because and, there, and there's critical yeah and there's critical distinctions in that just heard we talked about on Sunday you mm -hmm. know that God is in the detail yes. we need to make these distinctions and um, one of the things like the the video that I posted my comment to is by a guy who um, does not believe in rewards and the, the reason why he does not believe in rewards is because he has a salvation um, endpoint-oriented thinking. So he th he's thinking that the ultim ultimate goal is salvation, you know, even for the church. So he's not thinking about the church's calling after salvation. So he, he's thinking that, no, you don't, you know, God's not going to reward you with salvation. Salvation is, that you, is something that you get because of um, something that he did. And so we're simply trusting in that. So in, in a sense, he's got half of it right, but what do you do with the parts of the Bible that talk about rewards that you can't just throw it out? Yeah, that, that is exactly the thought, right? Since he refuses to acknowledge the scriptures that deal with rewards, then those are the scriptures you have to begin with. And that is to say that God doesn't know the difference between a gift and a reward, right? That's what he's saying there. So I would clearly have to turn him to Romans 4, 4, and 5 <laughs> to help him know that God is aware of the difference between a gift and a reward. How come you're not? Right? That's the question. God is certainly aware of the difference. And we even have Merriam-Webster 
who can help us with this. There is a distinct difference between a gift and a reward. Yeah. I mean, if we can't make that distinction, I'm sorry, we can't receive the gift of salvation, can we? Because we'll confuse it with something that we have to work work our way up to. Yeah, we need to know that there is a distinction between a gift and a reward. We know free. Something's free. No, that means we don't have... He's not saying it's free. You don't have to come up with money. <laughs> money is not in view. Works are in view. So... I mean, it's, I think that would be the answer and the focus. If somebody's denying what the, the scripture says, then I think we have to focus on what it says in the scripture. Right? I, I need the fact that salvation is free. I need to make sure people understand it's a gift. That is part of how we're separating out salvation from the Christian way of life. We're looking at the nature of salvation. It's believing. What is believing? It's looking away from yourself and putting your trust in another, not yourself. You're not saying, I believe, so therefore I'm going to do it. You're trusting somebody else to do it. And so believing in is inherently non-meritorious. Inherently. Because you're not going to do it. You're trusting someone else to do it. That's the point. Can you do that? Can you trust someone else? Some people can't. They've got to put their hands in it. They're going to mess it up because they just can't relinquish such an important matter to someone else. It's an important matter. I, I don't say it's not. It is certainly important. But they have to give that to Christ. That's the matter of salvation. And I would hope... That's the thought. So I'll pause. Other thoughts? Yeah, I just want to make one quick statement that uh, I can remember after talking to my pastor from from his Reformed theology standpoint and saying that, you know, easy believism was too hard. I was, my thought was, why is it so hard to believe in easy believism? <laughs> right. It's supposed to be, it's, salvation should be easy. It, how can it be right. hard? <laughs> no. Go right ahead, Fred. Uh, well, thanks for... Um, yeah, I think Fred had a comment. Go right ahead, Fred. Yeah, um, well, the only the only thing I wanted to say was, you know, the um, the absence of, of the details of the bad news, um, which leads to the believer or the person who supposedly believes... You know, in a in a lifelong attempt to justify what they do and to this is repentance of sins mm -hmm. uh, over and over and over again. Uh, one of the one of the texts, uh, you know, this is the weapons that are formed against us. You know, I think that as we become sharper and sharper, um, as as people point out these verses where they try to mix grace and works together, mm -hmm. uh, we will be able to address them very clearly, much more clearly, as the Holy Spirit unveils this. This is very important. Um, the, the scripture that comes up that I hear most often is 
You know, there are many. But, you know, First John 1, 9, uh, which they try to make as a salvation passage, when clearly all I ever do is I go to 1, 7 and I say, <laughs> walking in the light, as he is in the light, and then it says, if you claim you have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, so this is a believer, this is not salvation. Right. But they 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 want to see, they want to continually point out these scriptures that mix the fruit bearing with the gift. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's a state of confusion and you know, you could you could go to the church, and if you don't get with it, I've, I've been to churches where if I don't participate in hand-raising, and raise your hands and praise, you know, there's people really looking at you like, who is he? And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a false, this religion, it's, it's not of God. That's all I'll say. Not of God. Well, and, yeah, uh, you don't behave like they behave. They'll consider you an unbeliever. Yeah, that's so. That's a that's a that's happened, and I've seen it happen in the past. I've, if you don't respond in the same way they respond, they say, "Oh, you must not be a believer. You must not have the Holy Ghost." So. So, Pastor, before we move on, uh, Dwight uh, quoted a scripture. And that was the devils believe, tremble, and believe, and they also believe. Uh, where is that found? And let's just go over that real quick. Yeah. So, you as, have as a you, minute. yeah, as you were talking, I was thinking about when you said the, one of the common scriptures that people use, and you went to First John, but the common one that I would have went to would have been James. <laughs> Faith without works is dead. Right. So this is so misused and misapplied, and that's where the scripture is about devils. Yeah, that's a two nineteen James two nineteen. You believe that there is one. James two nineteen. Yeah. So you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Right. So, so what? It, it, it is. The NIV. The NIV. Uh, I guess it's the King James that may have may allude to something else, uh, but the NIV here says you believe there's one God. Good. Mm -hmm. Even the de demons believe that and shudder. Right. So he's talking about production here. So I, I don't see a thing wrong with that. Yeah, he's he's saying that faith. If you do have faith, which is <laughs> The teaching of the Word of God. His faith is what is believed in this sense. And what is believed is the body of truth. So if you have the body of truth in your heart, then you ought to do what it says. Right? It's pretty clear when it comes to that. Uh, and so the whole James passage, faith without works is dead, is saying basically you could talk a good game but if you don't follow through with execution then really have you believed uh in the body of truth or not are you and this is where people are alleging to be grown 
in the faith, you know, mature, right? So just like it says uh, into, if, so if a person says, I have faith, uh, this is 14, what does it profit? Oh, let me go back to NIV here. It makes it simpler. What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? So this is the question. And because they use save here, sozo in the Greek, then they think that, um, you know, salvation is in question. But sozo has different meanings. It's not just salvation. It could be also physical deliverance as well. So how do we know what James is talking about here? Uh, we have to read the context to understand. Oh, perfect. James gives an analogy to explain what he means. Huh. So verse 15, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? So now, so what he said in 14, I think he kind of gave an explanation of what he meant in 15 and 16. Now notice, it's not suppose a unbeliever, it's suppose a brother or sister, right? So what good is it, my brothers and sisters in 14? So who is he talking about? He's talking about believers. He's trying to tell, he's trying to explain how believers should function when they have faith. Right? And faith is not just, I believe in Christ. Faith is, I understand the body of truth. That's that's the understanding here. So keep warm, you know, so in the same way, verse 17, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it doesn't really mean anything. If you're not executing the plan, but you're talking a good game, really, uh, there's a disconnect here. There's a disconnect. And we should know that as well. We could talk a good game and that can go on for a while. And, you know, we could say that we are mature and that we're all this. But this is this is what meaning, this is what definition I've come up with when I think about maturity. Maturity, and I always go back to the, uh, the movie with Tom Hanks. What is that movie called again? Where he plays this guy. What's that movie? Where he's... he's kind of a prim and proper guy he has braces on his legs please help me Forrest Gump Forrest Gump <laughs> thank you so that movie is where he's sitting on the bench and he makes that uh, crazy statement he says the lady says what are you stupid <laughs> he says to her Stupid is as stupid does. So, when somebody says they're mature, maturity is what maturity does. Okay, this is the thought. Don't tell me you're mature. Show me. Show me you're mature. Do 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 what is mature. Exercise, execute. Right. If you're mature, then you got you got you're full of faith. Well, show me. Give me some. Right? 
So I'm sorry to take a long time on that analogy. But that's the thought. Thank you for just sharing some clarification on that verse. Yeah. So the demons are, first of all, the demons um, are not saved. Right? They're, he's just talking about persons, people who believe and, you know, just believe and really don't have any affiliation with uh, doing God's will. The demons know that there's one God. That's a, that's a doctrine that they know. One God. God is one. But they're not obedient to God, are they? No. What good is that? No good. Right? And we're not saying that the demons are, are should be obedient to God. They are not obedient to God. That's James's point. But they know their doctrine that there is one God. Right? But it doesn't do them any good. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, Doug. Yes. Okay. Um, I didn't. I didn't hear all the answer um, that you gave, Fred, but I'm assuming you're talking about the verse um, that even the demons believe, shudder, and believe. Yes. That's and, um, that's you the know, the, the, one, the one thing that I think of immediately is that, yeah, they may believe and, you know, they were one of the first ones to start identifying him and Jesus had to tell him to be quiet. Yeah. But the one thing that they don't do is they don't trust in him for their soul salvation. Right. Yeah, they're not saved. They never, Christ didn't pay for their sins, on and on. But notice, what is he talking about? He's talking about faith as the body of truth, right? So what what part is the body of truth here? He's saying you believe that there is one God. Good, right? So in other words, there's a point of truth that he's talking about to relate to faith. So then he, he, he counters that with even the, the demons believe that, but they tremble, right? They, they're not obedient to God. And... So the demons are not doing anything for God. So what he's saying is that's the, the trend here that he's trying to, to dispel. That well, he, he clearly says it. He must have says that he must have said said it two or, two or three different times. Look at verse eighteen. But someone will say, "You have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds." There it is. By my deeds, right? Faith is a faith. Faith is as faith does. <laughs> I'm sorry, Forrest Gump. I'm using that again, but that that's the way it works, right? If you're talking about your mature, then show show me by the execution of the Christian way of life. That's what you should be focused on. You don't have to be telling me stuff. Don't be boasting. That what is that? What does that do for me? Right. So show me the truth if by doing by action i think that's the thought all right so what time is it oh we got a little bit of time we're going to head into romans we'll finish this one point that we were focused on in romans chapter 8 so 823 is where we are we'll see we'll see how far we get romans 823 let's get right to it um let me get my bible here in the right version yeah so 8:23 says not only so but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship 
the redemption of our body. So here it is. We wait eagerly. Right? We, this is what, we, you know, it talks about us groaning inwardly. So there is a sigh, a groan, when we think about what God has made of us, and we don't yet have it. Now we know it's for sure. We have the deposit which he has given us, and we are sure that we're sons. He has told us in no uncertain terms, and in uncertain, there is no way that we can uh, say that we're not sons. Especially by reading this chapter that we've been in. And if we're sons, if we're children, then we're heirs. And if we're heirs, we're heirs of God. Right? And, and earlier it even said um, that um, Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God children so there there is all of the evidence of what a son is what it means to be in christ the baptism of the spirit so we've covered a lot of information as we're trying to get through these verses so we have this understanding of who we're going to be in the future this is the hope to which we have been called now if, unless you know the father's plan you don't know the hope. Just because you have salvation, you don't know the hope. You have to know what the, the Father's eternal purpose is. Now, he gave some of it here in um, 18. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Uh, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And we talked about how uh, the children of God, the sons of God being revealed to this earth will change everything. It will begin a twofold change. We said one where Christ will come and uh, the sons of God will be revealed and everything will change as a result of that. Christ will rule on this earth. The topography of the earth will be changed the nature of the earth will be changed the curse will be lifted from the earth and uh, and there will be changes in uh, all things that we think about there will be no more war animals will lose their ferocity uh, the the uh, longevity will be extended people will last or live over a thousand years in, in, in bodies, God will continue to, people will be born, uh, but longevity will, people will live from the beginning of the millennium to the end of the millennium. Imagine that. So, the, yeah, there's definite changes now. I think right now we could just talk about how long do we live. If we get to 100, man, or, you know, we're, but then we're all our bodies show the wear of a hundred year old person here it talks about in the old testament a hundred years old you still be a child so longevity is extended and this is one of the things so anyway getting back to the thought then the second phase of that restoration is where god will destroy everything after the millennium is over and the earth will melt but the elements will melt with fervent heat and and everything will be burned up and then he will recreate a new heavens and a new earth 
and um, he'll continue with those who are saved, those who have eternal life, and those who have resurrection bodies. Will occupy and some will occupy the new earth, and we are heavenly people. So we discuss what the sons of God bring to the table, and that is what God's eternal purpose is. So when we said in eight twenty three, we have the first fruits of the spirit. What do you mean the first fruits of the spirit? He's talking about Pentecost. Right? What happened at Pentecost? And that is where uh, this dispensation, where God is calling out many sons in the glory, began. That's where it began. And then we groan inwardly as we eagerly await our adoption to sonship. Or when does the adoption to sonship happen? At the rapture. So he just encapsulated the entire church, church age in that one scripture, 823. So why are we waiting eagerly waiting for our adoption to sunshine. Well, he just we just read the, the verses pre, previous to this, and it tells us in no uncertain terms that we are integral to God's eternal purpose. God is, this is the reason why he created all things, so that he might bring many sons into glory. And this is what God has realized. And when it says the adoption to sonship, the reason why we're adopted to sonship is the baptism of the Spirit. Many doctrines that we have that have been derived from these passages stem from the baptism of the Spirit. We could start talking about Romans 6, Romans 7, Romans 8, and this is where we are now. All are results of what the baptism of the Spirit has done for us. All the stuff about we're sons and we're, you know, we, we don't live according to the flesh. We're in the spirit now. And, and how um, the sonship we have, uh, the spirit testifies with our spirit, how we have an inheritance. Uh, this inheritance is not the land like Israel has. We have a different purpose than Israel has. I mean, on and on of all of the changes, but all of those changes stem from that one understanding that one truth which we call the baptism of the holy spirit and i used to teach it simply by saying yeah there's a minus and there's a plus in the baptism of the spirit what's the minus the minus is god took you out of adam you no longer are associated with who he is the fallen adam and he has now placed you in christ you are now so that's the plus part he took you out of adam minus he put you in christ plus but there's so much more to talk about regarding the baptism of spirit as it relates to all of these results that we're talking about adoption predestination right god anticipates all that because he elected us to be in christ he chose us in him before the creation of the world so all of this is the adoption to sonship so well you don't look much different now i'm going to tell you you don't look like you have the impact that is mentioned here, where it's not just, whoa, you know, we're have, we have power to control the waves, the wind, and the sea. No, the power that is going to be revealed in us will change not just the earth, but the universe. And it's in stages, as we already said, two stages. The universe. Imagine what kind of power that is. 
I mean, imagine what kind of power it takes for God to create the universe, including planet Earth. Think about the planning that went into it. Think about the ingenuity, the intelligence, the, the competency that God needed in all of these different areas to create the universe, not just planets and Earth, but life. And what kind of life did he want to create? Angels and man, plant life, animal life. I mean, it's comprehensive to think about the creation of all things. And to think that we could possibly, who live here in Plainfield, New Jersey, <laughs> Plainfield, and wherever you live as well, that we could have an effect on creation. And there are, th there are scriptures that talk about all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or things to come, things future, uh, anything, all things are yours. And you belong to Christ and Christ belongs to God. That's 1 Corinthians 3 at the end. So all things, we are united to the creator of all things. Now, obviously, this is not about us having some superpower. This is about Christ. That's who he is. He's the God-man. So when, it's, when it talks about the redemption of our bodies, right? he's talking about what is going to happen when that happens. There's going to be a tremendous change in who we are. Right now, you, like I said, you don't look like all that is about you. I can say, in fact, many of you look ordinary. Well, I don't mean ordinary in like plain Jane, but I'm talking about ordinary in that you, you don't look like you have any other superpowers than just you have what everybody else has. You look just like everyone else. But when I look at this change that's coming, this, this whole thing, so this adoption to sonship is, is a couple, it's twofold. One, God is realizing his eternal purpose when that happens, when we get it. So God is looking forward to this place. If we're, we have this expectation and it's like burning within us to get to this place where we have the full adoption to sonship. What is that? The redemption of our bodies. That's the hope. That's what we're groaning. That's what we're waiting. We, we're yearning for. Guess who else has that? God. God has great expectation around that. So we could look at that from our perspectives yeah, this is what we're hope. The hope is, man, when we get this, this is what God is has planned for us. So it's not just us getting it, but it is God realizing the that we will all have this. And guess what? Paul and uh, the, some of the apostles there, they were in the first generation, but they shall not precede us. We're all going to get this at the same time. Plenty of people have died in Christ, and they're in, in Christ now, in heaven. But none of us will get this before. We're all going to get it the same time. So this is the hope. And that is going to change everything. We're, when we say it's going to change everything, wow, what must we be? What must we have in all of this? So I want to turn to, there's a couple, a lot of scriptures. I know we're over time, but 1 Corinthians, we're going to look at this one. Uh, we'll start with this one. 
And this 1 Corinthians 15 is where we were. We want to be. And if we go down and look at verse, oh, where we want to start. Here it is. 48. 48. We can start at 47. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. Okay. So as was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. Now that's that's uh, Adam, right? The earthly man is Adam, just so you know. As is the heavenly man. This is Jesus. He's the God man. Heavenly. What do you mean the heavenly man? There's no such thing. Well, Jesus is the God man. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. But then in 14 it says, but the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So what is he now? He's the heavenly man. So are those who are of heaven. Now, there is no way you can understand what it means to be of heaven. Well, Paul says in Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. That's who we are. God made us something totally different with this baptism of the Spirit thing that we've been trying to talk about. That's the catalyst in all of this. 49. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, yeah, we can understand that. And this is basically what I said earlier. You don't look any different. We have borne that image. So shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. That's what we're going to really be. When God baptized us into Christ, it identified us with Christ. And these verses literally said it right there. It just said it. Now, how does that happen? Keep reading. Verse 50, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit imperishable. So these bodies that we have now, are not what we're going to look like. That's not who we are. It's going to be change. There's going to be a change in us that is off the scale. It is as far as the earthly man is like is different from the heavenly man. So then it goes on further. Listen, I tell you a mystery. Now, this is part of the mystery doctrine. Right? This is not just something that is hidden. It, is, it was hidden from the Old Testament. This is part of what the, Ho- the Holy Spirit came to reveal at Pentecost. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. There it is. We will, but we will all be changed. And when we say all, we already said it's going to be all at once for everybody. It's not just uh, some people got it already and we're just waiting to get it. We're all going to receive it at the same time. The dead in Christ will rise, and we who are alive will and remain will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. But we have to supplement that right here. We will all be changed. It's going to be a change. He will take these lowly bodies, like it says in Philippians 3 at the end, and be transformed into his glorious body. We're going to be like Christ. So we're going to look like him. We're going to be of him. And of heaven. When people look at us, you know what they're going to think about? They're going to think about Christ. And we will be changed. How's it going to happen? In a flash. In the twinkling of an eye. At the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound 
and the dead will be raised imperishable. And here it is, and we will be changed. Just know that's going to happen. This is a result of the baptism of the Spirit. This is what's, what God's plan was for us from eternity past. And it is being realized as we read these words right here. It's coming in the future. What else? For the perishable must clothe, it, clothe itself with the imperishable. Right? That's the kind of bodies that we're going to get. The, the mortal Subject to death with immortality, not subject to death. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? We can talk a lot more about this. I know our time is getting long here. But the thought. In 8.23, Romans 8.23, back to that really quick. Romans 8.23 says that we're waiting eagerly for our adoption to sonship. What is that? The redemption of our bodies. Why? Don't we already have the adoption to sonship? Yes. But what, what, what is, why does he mention this as though we don't have it? Well, because... The adoption to sonship complete is the redemption of our bodies. What, what do you mean a redemption of your bodies? That's when you're going to fully get everything that God has planned for you from eternity past. So when he says uh, adoption to sonship, yeah, we have it, right? But we only have the deposit now. We, that's all we have. We don't have the full bounty of all that God is going to give us in the future. He has already given us enough to let us know that that is who we are. We're sons. We have an inheritance. Right? The Holy Spirit has testified with our spirits that we are sons. I like the way John says it in 1 John 3. Beloved, now are we the children of God. So, And what we will be has not been revealed. But we know that when he comes... You know, we will see him as he is and we will be changed. That's what it is. We will be like him. We will be transformed into his image physically. So we now are the children of God. That's who we are. And, and so 823 is an important verse from that angle. Right? This is part of what I wanted to say about it. It's two ways to look at this. One, it's what we expect and we yearn for and we have a hope, a burning hope within us to receive it. But that's because we know the Father's plan and we understand, we're, we're seeing what the Father planned for us and we come to the place where this earth and all that is here is not our hope anymore. This is We're looking past the earth to what God has said. That's why he said in Colossians that we ought to keep our mind on things above, not on earthly things. Because you can't have this burning hope within you while your mind is stayed on earthly things. Right? For you died. This is not who you are anymore. And God, uh, you know, and you are hidden. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's who you are now. 
So well, there's much more I don't want to continue at this point. But So next week, we're going to discuss Romans 8.24, which continues in the same thought. For in this hope, we were saved. And we, we talked about this a lot. Hopefully you remember, but we were, we're going to go over it again. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? We'll continue with this thought next week. Let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for the glorious, the, the call that you have given us from eternity past. And we can't even imagine all that is involved in this, but it is the biggest event in human and angelic history. And we are the recipients of this. The changes that will be coming are monstrous changes, humongous changes, glorious changes. And we will witness this firsthand. And we just thank you for this sonship. We thank you for choosing us. Uh, we, as we come, this unfolds and we didn't even have a clue about all of this, but we are coming to learn about your plans for us from eternity past that are being realized even now. So we pray that as we continue to look into the detail of this, that you will continue to show us even more and more of your wisdom. Help us to keep our mind on heavenly things and not on earthly things. All of this we ask in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Amen.